You ready for this? Hands up for those who um, uh, have good answers. These are uh, you know, famous opening lines. And so uh, we'll see how well read you are as a congregation. Can you tell me where this is from, the opening line? It is a truth universally acknowledged. Goodness me, I, that's, that's uh, six words. Let me finish it just in case you weren't as adept as these. It's a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. I'm not writing this personally, by the way. Um, so uh, where, where's that from? Pride and Prejudice. There we go. Uh, this is an easy one, in case you're not so sure. Uh, who wrote this? Squire Trelawney, Dr. Livesey, and the rest of these gentlemen, having asked me to write down the whole particulars about Treasure Island. There we go. From the beginning to the end, keep nothing back but the bearings of the island, and that only because there is still treasure not yet lifted. Ooh. Who wrote that? Robert Louis Stevenson, Treasure Island, yeah. Again, this is one I remember well from studying at school. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. There you go. If you think this is all too highbrow, uh, here's uh, one for... Uh, Others of us, <laughs> myself included, I include myself in this. Far out in the uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small, unregarded yellow sun. Who's that? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. The last one. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four, Privet Drive, were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Bye. J.K. Rowling. Well done. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Those are the opening lines to the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. Epic words, profound words, words that begin the gospel in what's called the prologue, but set the scene, kind of give us a glimpse behind the story. When John the Baptist appears and speaks of one coming, the sandals he's not even worthy to untie. And Jesus bursts on the scene and he, he, he meets John the Baptist and there's a baptism. And John points at him, the Lamb of God, look, behold him, see him, notice him, regard him. Don't take your gaze off this Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then straight into the calling of the first disciples and Philip and Nathaniel sitting under that tree. We'll get there. But the prologue, that introduction, lifts the curtain, lets those of us who read those very first words into this epic secret, the start of the gospel in the beginning. In the beginning. Let's read it. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men and women might believe he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every person was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Wow. Curtain lifted. It's not one of those dramatic programs where you only find out at the end. Right from the beginning, we're given the advantage that Nathaniel and Philip and John didn't quite get at the beginning, but did by the end. Jesus. Epic, awesome, wondrous gift of God, the light of God, the word of God made flesh amongst us. John is one of those brilliant gospels, the fourth gospel. It's not like the other three that get called the synoptics, the, the ones that have a similar look. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell the story of Jesus in particular ways with particular kind of emphasis apart for their audience. John stands apart, different in many ways, yet very similar with Jesus at the heart, Jesus at the very core. This is what the good news is about, Jesus. And tells it in a different way, rather than perhaps well, here he is born, and here he is at the temple at age 12, and here he is uh, in his baptism, and here is the three years that unfold with his teaching of parables. 
And we don't get parables really in John. Here is the story of of his encounters with lepers and, and blind people where we hear some of that. But John records particular events in particular ways because he's really wanting believers, you and I, to understand fully who this Jesus is. The Word of God. The incarnate Son. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. A shocking beginning. Grabs your attention. Well, maybe it doesn't so much because we've heard it. But to those in that time, and I hope today, something of the impact of that, in the beginning was the word, would come through. That Mark starts his gospel straight into the action. It's like those James Bond films, you know, where uh, the, the, the lights go down and da da da, you know, that, the theme tune. And straight into the mix, James Bond is doing his stuff. There's this kind of opening thing, and then the title credits roll. That's like Mark's gospel. In there, wham, bam. Here's Jesus on the scene. Or Matthew, kind of more towards his Jewish readers, starts with the family tree all the way going back to Abraham and and the shock for Herod as these uh, magi, these wise men appear from the east, proclaiming that a new king has been born in a shed. Or Luke, more to uh, the the non-Jewish, the Gentile readers. Uh, talking about a Roman census and Simon's prophecy that Jesus would save not just the Jews, but many, all, the world, gospel, global. And roots Jesus not just back to Abraham, but all the way back to Adam. But John is different. John says that even Adam doesn't go back far enough. In the beginning. Those words, that phrase, exactly matching the Old Testament, Genesis 1, 1, which says, in the beginning. Locating very much this gospel about the eternal purposes of God, this good news about always in the plan, always in the action, always in the intention of God to his people, his worlds, his universe. God makes everything from nothing. God said, spoken by his word, acted by the brooding spirit over the waters, that John matches that and says, in the beginning was the word. That the story of Jesus started long before any angel appeared to Mary or any manger and a baby wrapped in cloths. Before the dawn of time, the eternal word of God. Those who had a smattering of understanding of the Old Testament would hear the impact in the beginning. This is God at work again. God at work as always planned. God at work as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But not everyone would know that. Not everyone would start at book one because they didn't have books, they had scrolls. 
And John was writing very much not just to those who were out of the Jewish tradition. He was writing to those who converted, become Christians, or were, they were witnessing in Ephesus and in, in the Greek world, and they weren't so versed in it. About maybe 70, 80 AD, the gospel is written. And the wonderful writer John not only captures the whole thrust of the Old Testament, but says, in the beginning was the Word. And that word is a word that uh, is, is a word that is translated from the word logos. What's that about? It's a word, logos gets used in English quite a lot. I came up with uh, quite a few. You could probably add to them. Notice the word logos, words is in all of these phrases, biology, geology, cosmology, apology, archaeology, chronology, meteorology, cardiology, ecology, ideology, theology. Even in our modern language, the importance of the word, words about, carried over in the sense of about things. But in John, it's much more than just simple words or ideas. This is the word. Now the context in that time was lots of people were thinking, lots of people were planning, lots of people were trying to work out the meaning of life, what's it all about, why are we here, asking questions, thinking, gathering together in groups, trying to find out with self-help books and all those things that like we do today, what's the point of life, why are we here, why is it like it is? And within that time and that era, there was a philosopher who was based in Ephesus, probably where John wrote this fourth gospel. But 500 years before, called Heraclitus. And he wrote this very important work. And he described, he said, life is all about this divine force, which they call reason. And he called it the Logos. And this reason governs the universe and his teaching and his thoughts set the course of thinking going in much of the world at that time. And John writing his words of declaration about Jesus merges, marries the great themes of God in the Old Testament. In the beginning, it says the true words, the very reason, the very power of God, the very revelation isn't just an unknown force, but comes amongst us. The shock for all peoples, Greeks, Jews, in the beginning, the word, the word. Not the word, the reason, the idea that they groped around for in the darkness. Not just a principle or a set of rules, but a person long before the baby in the stable, the ruler, the creator of the universe. Praise God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You see, for John, this is of utmost importance. We have the curtain lifted, the prologue, as it's called, this wonderful passage. But for Nathaniel and John and all those who came to meet Jesus, they saw, they saw this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. 
30 odd years old, just like us, but did remarkable things. Taught as no other had taught. Acted like no one else did. Involved himself and spoke truth that made sense and engaged and brought new life. To the great and the good like Nicodemus. To the outcast and the desperate. Someone born blind for 40 years. To the person cast out from society. The word comes. And this is a shock. For John emphasizes again and again that this Jesus is God amongst us. In chapter 10, we'll get to it in verse 33, they, they pick up stones to, to stone Jesus. We're not stoning you for any of these in the story of what he's done. The Jews replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Even in this prologue, 117, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is greater than the law of Moses, greater than the prophets, grace and truth, all of God's goodness through this one man, the Son of God, the Word of God, Jesus. Verse 18, again, no one has ever seen God Listen to this. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. That John is so, so clear. There is no other place of salvation. There is no other way to know God. There is no other ideology or way to grope and find our way to finding out truth. But Jesus, he matters. He matters. The story of John is by way, right in this passage, one of revelation, one of redemption. Revelation, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We see Jesus. We see entirely what God is like. There's no discrepancy, no difference, no thinking, well, that's Jesus and the Father's something else in terms of how he deals with us. Not at all. We see Jesus, we see the very action and purpose and character, attitude of the Father, in harmony. What does God think about you? Look to Jesus. What does God think about our future, Jesus will reveal it. How are we to live this life? Jesus is the one who has all the wisdom. Jesus. But it's about redemption, about rescue, about salvation. Right from the outset, the one who dwells amongst us, full of grace and truth. He says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. Even today, believe in his name. He gives the right to become children of God. Doesn't happen naturally. Doesn't happen by being told that it should happen to you. But by our decision, because God has said you may become children of his through Jesus. John is really, really clear. Make no mistake. 
In our world, which says in pluralism, there are lots of ways, and if we go this way or that way, as long as we're earnest about it, as long as we're sincere, then fine. Nowhere is that found in John. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should what? Believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God takes the initiative. In Jesus, new possibilities are born. Divine power is released into a broken world and its broken lives so that new life is possible. Revelation. Jesus is oh so important. Why do we keep going on and on about Jesus? Because he's the best. He's the only. He matters. And he's the redemption of God. If your life is messed up, Jesus is the answer. If your life is going on kind of nicely, thank you. And you're quite content in this life. There will come a day where you will stand before God. And John says it matters who you have decided to believe in, Jesus or rejecting him. It matters that Jesus is the one who transforms the broken through redemption and brings life. Jesus matters. A great um, theologian, Søren Kierkegaard, reminds us in the story of why it matters. Why it matters that Jesus should come, the Word become flesh. Why it matters that God takes on human flesh to come and live amongst us, to suffer our trials, to experience the same feelings that we experience, that Jesus is fully human and fully God, wonderfully, mysteriously, truthfully, Jesus is God incarnate. And he told this story. One day while running an errand in the local village for his dad, the king, he passed through a poor section of the city. As he glanced out of the windows of his carriage, his eyes fell upon a beautiful peasant maiden. During the ensuing days, he often passed, made his route pass by, the young lady, and he soon fell in love. But he had a problem. How would he seek her hand? He could order her to marry him. He had that power and that right. But even a prince wants his bride to marry him freely and voluntarily and not through coercion. He could put on his most splendid uniform in all his regalia and drive up to her front door in his carriage with all the uh, ceremonial guards drawn by six white horses. But if he did this, he'd never be certain that the maiden loved him or was simply overwhelmed with all the splendor. As you might have guessed, the prince came up with another solution. He would give up his kingly robe. He moved into the village, entered not with a crown, but with the garb of a peasant. He lived among the people, shared their interests and concerns, and talked their language. In time, the maiden grew to love him for who he was and because he had first loved her. 
you know, this very simple, almost childlike story written by one of the most brilliant minds of his time explains what we mean by the word becomes flesh, dwells among us. God comes. And the language of the message moves into the neighborhood, dwelt amongst us, made his home with us, got his hands and feet dirty, came alongside. Wow, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In the Gospel, as we shall see in the weeks to come, He reveals again and again to reorientate our thinking. This is God. This is the nature. This is the character. This is what we can expect. This is what we can depend upon and rely upon because it has come within our frame of reference. The one and only. And it's all about rescue. It's all about redemption. It's all about him reaching out again and again to us. Yesterday I was at um, a conference in Cheltenham, Hearthead Hands. Amy or Ewing, this is a great plug. Uh, she's brilliant. She's at Philia in a few weeks. There's a few tickets left. Is that right, Sarah? There shouldn't be any by the end of today. You, she's just great. She was telling a story, and I want to close with that because it's apt. We'll see again and again this is replicated in the story of real people in the Bible and in the story of us. She was telling the story about a friend of hers who used to run a youth group. And in this youth group, like many young people, there was a girl there who uh, seemed to be very shut down, very kind of guarded, not bothered. Bothered, you know, not bothered. Whatever. Through weeks and weeks and weeks of youth work, talking about Jesus, of praying, of, of indicating about how much God loves. Stony face. And into the area one day, J. John came with a big kind of mission and they decided to take the youth group and she came along and they sat at the back and J. John being J. John was doing his thing at the front. And in the course of his talk, he took a piece of paper and in, I mean, do you know J. John? Have you heard him? He's just great. He said, he's got this piece of paper, small piece of paper, and scrumpled it up and, and kind of twisted it and, and put it on the floor and rubbed it under his shoe. And he got out from his bag a little box of, of mud and he put it all over and it, you know, crumpled, disheveled, dirty. Lifts up and says, Would anyone, does anyone want this? 3,000 people. 3,000 people. Kind of like, no, no, no. So in J. John's way, he looks out at the 3,000 people and points at this girl. Come out, I need a volunteer. And she sits there, no, 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 no thanks. It's a lot of people. Who's she to go out? And by this point, you know, he's saying, come on, come on, you know, his way. And the, the 3,000 people are kind of going, come on, you know, and she's like horrified. But she comes out 
slowly, and the youth worker said uh, she was really worried that John, J. John was going to get that whatever face up on the stage. But she got there, and as he picked this note, this piece of paper unfolded, it was a 50-pound note. And he was making the point that no matter how dirty and disheveled and messed up, we have value. And he gave it to her and said, this is for you. You're precious to God. And the people got the point and, and he was making the point. And the point of the gospel is that he comes amongst us. The word made flesh because he loves us. And no matter how dirty and broken and messed up and disheveled we are, God thinks us worth rescuing. The word became flesh. Anyway, the, the girl came back, sat down. The end of the meeting went out, burst into tears. And the youth worker finally got to chat to the girl and said, what is it? What is it? She said, for weeks I've been hearing about how God could love me. But I put up this barrier because not so long ago I sold my body for 50 pounds for sex. And week by week by week you've told me that God forgives, God loves. And she thought, how can he when I've done this? And it was like she said, she was called by Jesus up to the front and J. John unknowingly, unwittingly gave her 50 pounds and said, I buy you back because you're precious. The word became flesh, dwells amongst us. God, good news, and gives and calls and says to each one of us, no matter how disheveled, how dirty, how far, how much you have turned your back upon God, he comes, dwells amongst us. We're worth it in his eyes. It's a great gospel. Great truth today. Let's pray. Those, but these are written, says John towards the end, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I pray today, holy, holy God, wonderful Father, that you sent your spirit to engage with us even today. Even today. That by, by believing, we may have life in his name. And I pray that any here who have become skeptical, who are seeking, who are unsure, would take a bold step. Whoever feels that they've been downtrodden, maybe crushed under the circumstances of life, either self-inflicted or afflicted upon you, would hear in the story of that girl your story. And feel the touch of grace, the touch of redemption, as God reveals himself afresh now to you. It's not your, 
It's not that I'm telling you to, but it's the invitation, the gift. To all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Simply choose him. Say, I choose you, Jesus. I believe in you. I trust in you. I want to become your child right now. And I want to pray for those who feel the, that God, God's gaze is to others. Oh, God's love for you is so immense to each one. We have a prayer area just down here. By, the, by my left, your right. We want to pray with those who feel that God is against and not for them. We want to pray with you if, you if you think that he's the harsh judge and critic of your life rather than the Father who draws alongside and says you're precious. We want to pray into anything in your mind or heart that says, this sets me apart. This stops me. This is the thing that precludes me. All the rest may be, but not me. Pray for you. Because that is untrue. It's a lie. For you, for us, for this world, he came. Let's stand as we sing. Come forward if you'd like to respond to what God has said. Responding is a positive way of acting in obedience to what God has said. It's not embarrassing. We're not going to do anything odd to you. We're simply going to recognize that God's been at work. That's something to celebrate. Brothers and sisters will come alongside and pray, not intrusively, not violently, or any way that's going to hurt you, but ask God's blessing. The rest of us are going to praise and sing. Joe's come out. She's going to start. If anyone comes forward to pray with you, just encourage you to do that. Be bold. Come.